0: the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: I thought of a witty way to open this episode, like
2: literally, like four minutes ago, and uh, I've already forgotten. Oh man, that was a tease because we did. we didn't even talk about how we were going to open the episode. No, we did so This was going to be a surprise for me, <sighs> and here we are. What was it?
1: I was just walking around put stuff in the dryer i don't know
2: (laughs) welcome to tyler recaps his day the the weekly podcast for minor league baseball Uh, the show before the show which
1: tyler just runs down a list of his errands for the day the chores that he has to do around the house um well you know uh something witty hi everyone my name is tyler Mon. i'm in denver colorado sam dykstra is in new york city new york and we are the two hosts of the show before the show podcast from milVcom welcome in in case you're just joining us for the first time it's a very formal introduction um that you just got and um yeah, excited to, uh, excited to take the show on this week. It's the first day of March. We're recording this on Thursday. Ordinarily, we record on Wednesdays, but yesterday we had um, a staff conference call to kind of get set for the 2018 season. Got some really cool stuff coming to the site this year. Very excited about that. And uh, now it's March. Now it's a baseball month. March is a baseball month because it's full-on March games. March is definitely a baseball month. We got opening day coming up in March this year at the Major League level.
2: It's a baseball month. How do you feel about that, by the way? It's a little weird. <laughs> It's a little weird, but I'm fine with it's it. It's a little weird, but I I like the challenge. Yeah. I I I like the idea of opening days the same
1: for everybody. The more the earlier the better to me. I'm fine with it. Right. Yeah.
2: And Less explaining to my mother right. that not everybody starts the day, the opening day on the same. Yeah,
1: um, and I do wish that it would go back to like I wish the Reds would open like a minute before the next start, like so we could go back right. to like oh yeah, and we have this one weird tradition of this one team they always get the first game for some reason. Like I think that'd be kind of cool. But, like, make it like the Reds started at, like, 11.59, and then the next game started noon Eastern, something like that. <laughs>
2: Everybody has to gather around and watch have the game. to make sure that the Reds at, have started. At their part. They put it up on the yeah. video
1: board. All right, there's the first pitch. We can go now. Thanks, Homer Joey Bailey. Joey Votto said it's okay. <laughs> we,
2: we, please continue.
1: Um, but we're getting there. 30 days away, not even, 26 days away, whatever it is, from uh, Major League Opening Day. And minor league camps opening up all over the place this week, and uh, we're really excited to dive into that. Coming up in just a little bit, we will hear from a man at the head of one of those minor league camps, Mitch Lukovics, who is the director of minor league operations for the Tampa Bay Rays, will join us. Obviously, it has been a very, uh, I don't want to say tumultuous because it hasn't been full of negatives, but an offseason of a lot of change around the Rays organization. And obviously some really tough news last week with the news about Brent Honeywell undergoing Tommy John surgery. Talk about that here coming up in just a little bit. Um, but uh, really excited. It's a good conversation we got coming up with uh, with Mitch here in just a little bit. Before we get into this week's edition of the show, before the show, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us. You can give us a rating and a review and a subscription, that's fantastic for us, especially if they're good. And uh, <laughs> you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and the Stitcher app and a bunch of other things and milb.com slash podcast and get in touch podcast at milb.com. Sam is on Twitter at Sam M-I-L-B. I I am on Twitter at Tyler Mon. And let's get started. We're about a week's worth of games into the spring training schedule across uh, the major leagues and the minor leagues. Not minor league games, but prospects getting time in big league games. And with that, let's talk about some of these early spring standouts in 2018. Sam, who was on your radar?
2: Yeah, so uh, I actually just wrote this up for the site today, so he's especially on my mind. But uh, Miguel Andahar, Uh, is just thrashing right now in Yankees camp. Um, Today, which is, again, Thursday, uh, he hit two home runs, two solo home runs, swinging on the first pitch with both of those home runs, so went deep in each of the first two pitches he saw. Um, He now leads both spring training leagues, so Grapefruit League and Cactus League in home runs. He's gone deep four times uh, in five games. Looking back on his season last year, you know, apples and oranges, it's a little different Conversation, but he started out last year double A Trenton. It took him 38 games to hit four home runs. He's already done that in five games down in Florida. Obviously, colder weather up in Trenton in that Eastern League environment. I get that, but still kind of cool to note. Uh, he's also added a double, he's gone six for 14 in those five games, uh, so he's batting 429. Obviously, a lot of this is small sample, but to see a guy go deep four times already is, is really interesting, uh, especially for him. You know, we've talked about him on the podcast. I've written about this when we did our prospect projections. Uh, you know, he entered camp this year as a real competitor for that opening uh, spot at third base for the Yankees. Um, you know, last year he split his time between double A AA and triple A, got a couple games with the Yankees, did really well. Those brief cameos uh, ended up hitting 315 with 16 homers last year in the minors, Um, went four for seven, you know, in some spot duty in the majors. So did as well as he could when he got the chance. Now he's got a real opportunity. And once again, he's really thrashing it and taking well to it. Uh, Things got a little complicated with his direct route to the majors when the Yankees acquired Brandon Drury um, just last week, I believe. Uh, they got him from the D-backs. Drury has played both second base and third base. He's played all, all over the place. He's kind of a utility man, but really more of an infielder between second and third. Um, that's where the Yankees have a need. Uh, Glaber Torres was also thought to be in that conversation at second base. You know, if Andahar continues to have a hot spring, now the discussion goes from okay, Drury's the the solution at third to okay, Drury's the solution at second, and we're just going to keep Andahar there, play this out, see how far he can go. Um, you know, jury's kind of in that pivot position. They'll put them wherever, you know, somebody really doesn't take, uh, the most of the opportunity, but Andahar is answering the bell right now. And that's really exciting to see, especially for somebody who really needed to put together this type of spring to show, listen, I don't need to go back to the minors. I'm ready right now. Uh, you know, there's a couple weeks left. Uh, I think, you know, 27, 28 days until opening day, still a lot of great fruit league games left to go for him. Um, but for somebody who, you know, Needed to do this to to answer the bell this quickly. I'm really excited to see where, where he can take this. Can he hit double-digit home runs? That's not usually a question we ask in the spring. I'm asking it now because it is a possibility. Uh, I'm excited to see what else we can get out of him. And you know, I'll, I'll be head to Yankees camp next week. Uh, I think I'll be there next Thursday actually. So to see him up close, to see his batting practice up close, is going to be a lot of fun for me. Uh, he's definitely somebody I'm going to keep an eye on when I'm there and when I'm not there as well.
1: Um, I'm sticking to the Grapefruit League as well and the Houston Astros organization, which of course took a pretty big blow with the announced suspension of pitching prospect Forrest Whitley, but the other prospect who has been kind of in tandem with him throughout his climb in the minor leagues has been Kyle Tucker, and it's felt like we've talked about those two just together every time one of them is brought up. Well, Kyle Tucker is on the flip side of that coin right now and is just crushing the ball in uh, the starts of Grapefruit League play for him. Five of his first 13, three of those hits are home runs, eight RBIs, he's LPSing 14 seconds. 62 and at some point we could see kyle tucker in the big leagues this year but i think what kyle tucker right now is showing is that he is very ready for a look at the triple a level in 2018 with the extended period of time um, the the talent there the skill set there is so pronounced and you keep thinking at some point as he climbs the ladder somebody's gonna slow him down for a while just really hasn't proven to be the case and yes it's really early on these are extremely small sample sizes but we you know we have games that we get to talk about so we're gonna make grand proclamations about things um but still this is major league pitching in large part that these guys are seeing. And for whether it's Miguel Anahar or Kyle Tucker or somebody else who's starting off hot at this stage of a spring training campaign, that gives you a whole load of confidence to go into minor league camp. If, and when you are inevitably re- reassigned um, from big league camp and then to roll on into the regular season on. So um, a really hot start for Kyle Tucker and uh, very much a, uh, a good news item on the heels of a bad one for the Astros is as Sam and I were saying before the show started as if the astros needed any more good news but still they're getting it anyway
2: yeah to say like oh the, the astro system needs good news it doesn't need good right. news you're the defending world series it's all good news a, a lot of that came from homegrown talent <laughs> so yeah it's it's all good news right now in west palm beach at least on that side of things with the astros um but to, to see kyle tucker do what he's doing um you know they put up a sign over his locker i think that called him ted tucker Um, which there was a little bit of disagreement about why that was. Uh, Some people in the clubhouse said, including his manager, AJ Hinch, said it was because his swing reminds him of Ted Williams, which like, okay, everybody thinks we make bad comps sometimes, but that's. (laughs) I don't want to put any
1: pressure on this kid, but he's basically Babe Ruth.
2: You're right. Yeah. And then Lance McCullers Jr. said, no, 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 it's something else. It's like a reference to uh, McLovin, who I, I guess his name was Ted. I don't know. They, it seems like it's pulling between hyping him up and also tamping him down at the same time. Um, but to, to see the Major League Clubhouse take to this guy so quickly is a really promising sign, especially for one that should be really confident in their own abilities and um, to know that they're pretty well set on a Major League roster to say, like, listen, we want you to join us. We want you to get here as quickly as possible. Uh, is really fun, really exciting. Was
1: McLovin's name actually Ted?
2: Yeah. I- I think so. Uh,
1: I remember they called him Fogel all the time, but Fogel obviously was his last name. But uh, maybe his name is You introduce the next topic, and I'm I'm going to look this up. All right, let's figure out. What We can learn. Um, Strike two this week. Uh, As we noted in a little bit, we'll be talking with Mitch Lukovics, the director of minor league operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. And unfortunately, the Rays got some really rough news at the end of last week in which it became known that Brent Honeywell would undergo Tommy John surgery. The top ranked prospect in that organization did undergo successful Tommy John surgery earlier this week. Um, Now a 15 month likely rehab um, for Brent Honeywell and it's tough because Brent Honeywell feels like one of those guys that we've been talking about for a long time because he's been such a promising talent for the last few years um, and still is not an old player. Brent Honeywell, who last year really finally – put together the type of high-level minor league season that you were hoping for. He is still just 22. He's not going to be 23 until the end of this month. Last year, made two starts at at, uh, AA Montgomery to begin the year, and then 24 outings with Durham. And in the AAA International League, a 3.64 ERA, 152 strikeouts against 31 walks in 123 and two-thirds innings. One of the kind of real unique personalities in the minor leagues and a guy who – it, it's a big bummer to see shelved for an extended period of time. Um, what really bums you out about this loss is the Rays are starting to get toward that next window of, all right, let's bring in all these young guys and we're going to be good for a little while. Honeywell was leading that charge for Tampa Bay, and now we're not going to see him for a year and a half.
2: Yeah. Um, I was really excited to see what he could do in the major leagues. Uh, and you'll hear – uh, Mitch talk about this later in our interview, but just because his personality is so well-groomed for the major leagues, he, he would take off in a way that, um, you know, we, we don't necessarily see that all the time with superstars. Sometimes they kind of go into their own shell. I think he would come into the spotlight and just bask in it and do really well. So not just from a pitching standpoint, from a but from a personality standpoint, I feel like having to wait another year to see him get that, you know, the, the, justice that comes with a major league promotion uh is really sad but yeah to see the the, to know that it's going to be another year it's kind of like alex reyes last year um you know alex reyes i was going to be really excited to see what we could do or what the cardinals could do uh with him in a full year in the major league level he gets tommy john before the season starts we have to wait. now we're having this conversation about him again uh, at least at the prospect level uh in a way that's kind of disappointing because you don't want to push that off longer than you need to. Um, With Honeywell, you know, I think his, his mix would have worked especially well right away. Um, I think they should have you know, promoted him last year uh, for September roster expansion. I think he probably thought that as well. He was retweeting everybody under the sun who was congratulating other people getting promoted. Um, Seemed a little jealous on his part. I think part of that has to do with service time with him, the Rays, especially being, you know, a small market club. They, they don't have that much to spend. They want to keep guys around as long as they can. Um, so if they're going to burn maybe 15 innings from him and burn a year of control, they're not going to do that. Um, but uh, trying to get him, you know, to the major leagues as early as possible this year, you know, they've made a lot of moves. Jake Odorizzi just got traded. So he looked like a guy who was probably going to be ready first week of May or something like that. Uh, get trot him out for a couple starts at Durham and, you know bring him up if everything goes well like they did last year in Montgomery you know they gave him a couple starts there they bumped him up really quick it seemed like that was going to happen this year obviously that's not the plan um you know he seems in good spirits he's been tweeting left and right i think he p- tweeted a picture with dr james andrews himself which i didn't know what james andrews looked like it was just a phrase that i always got scared of whenever somebody <laughs> was having a consultation, and to see this nice man who just performed surgery and did a really good thing, like was weird. It's like putting a face to your nightmare. Um, but uh, yeah, poor James th- Andrew. He seems to be. I know. Yeah, he does. He's a surgeon. He's saving people's careers, and yet his his name, his name alone has become, strikes yeah. fear.
1: It's like Voldemort.
2: Yeah, like, exactly. We're not supposed to say his name. Is uh, Dr. James Andrews the ever, surgeon except. who shall not be named? Right. That's what we should do going forward. Um, but, you know, he, he's tweeting out hashtag honey day 2019. So he knows, you know, if all goes well, if he attacks rehab as he should, if he follows the list to recovery like he should, um, you know, he'll be back next spring and we'll, we'll be having the conversation of when is Brent Honeywell coming up. Uh, you know, it's just a year off. So um, hopefully this doesn't affect his development too much. Tommy John rehab is pretty well documented at this point. There are a lot of success stories with it, um, but it, it just, It just hurts that we're not going to be able to have that conversation in 2018. We're going to have to wait till 2019.
1: Stupid ligaments. All their collateral ligaments are stupid. I don't like them.
2: (laughs) Well, you kind of need them to pitch. It's not like we can just say, like, can we just take these out now and we'll figure it out later? It's like, no, that actually. Well, not if you're R.A. Dickey.
1: R.A. Dickey doesn't have one. He's fine.
2: Okay, so we're just going to tell everybody to throw a knuckleball?
1: (laughs) No, R.A. Dickey used to throw, like, 90s. And then uh, and then he broke it down and went into the knuckleball route.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah, so we're we're going to have to teach everybody to throw the knuckleball, which is fine. If there's a league full of knuckleballers, I'm all that for it. That would be it.
1: pretty cool. That would be pretty cool.
2: That would be a fun, like, minor league promotion. Yeah. Ben's not here this week, but like, I'm throwing night? that out there. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing about every minor league baseball player, especially the position players, they all have a knuckleball. Everybody feels like they can throw a knuckleball, which is weird. Well, it's a weird the thing, thing they you- all
2: want to accomplish. Well, the, here's the weird thing you don't know, Tyler, is that I can actually throw an really? puck. Really? So can you? I mean, that. I mean, I'm telling myself. What that, about a but,
1: knuckle puck?
2: Uh, no, Let's go because Mighty i, Ducks I did up not, in not. Yeah, I was not able to go to the World Championships against Iceland well, in what year was that? 1996. Remember, yeah, d 2 came yeah.
1: out. What would you have been six?
2: Yes, I would have been Gross. six.
1: um strike three this week we're trying to keep it light because unfortunately we have to go to another bummer of a story um Chicago White Sox prospect Jake Berger will miss the entire 2018 season as well 2017 first round selection suffered a ruptured left Achilles tendon while running the bases in a Cactus League game um just a couple of days ago again we're recording this on the 1st of March that was back on Tuesday the 27th of February um Berger is going to have surgery on the Achilles um, was in major league camp as a non-roster invitee Uh, got a chance to talk to Jake last year for a story and he was fantastic I mean effusive and confident and excited to be where he was and this year seemed like it was going to be a a big year um, to get things started for the Missouri State product and unfortunately another guy whose season is done before it begins
2: yeah and this is also disappointing kind of at the other end of the spectrum, like Honeywell, we kind of expected to to be in the majors and you don't want to see a guy cut short when he's that close. Uh, Berger, this was supposed to be his first full season. Um, you know, this is when you really test yourself. You see what you can do over 140 games. How, how are you going to hold up? And this was just such a freak injury. He just crumpled running to first. You know, that that doesn't happen because something broke down. It happens because something twisted wrong or whatever. Uh, just a real freak injury as opposed to a UCL tear, which kind of builds and builds and builds until it tears apart. Uh, It's just really sad to see this happen. Uh, I know a lot of people in the White Sox system were really excited to see him. I wanted to see where he was going to stick. Was he going to be able to stick at third base or was he going to have to move to first base? Uh, No matter what, a lot of people were excited about his bat. Uh, He hit 20 home runs in both of his last two years at Missouri State. Um, Showed a little bit of that potential last year. Uh, They bumped him up to Class A Kannapolis where he hit 271, 335, 409 with four homers uh, and 47 games. The fact that they tried him out at a full-season affiliate is pretty telling. The White Sox have kind of made this their M.O. with college bats. They did the same thing with Zach Collins uh, a couple years ago. Um, But, you know, they thought they could aggressively push him, and this was a chance to see exactly how hard they could aggressively push him. Was he going to be able to finish the year at double-A, maybe even – Maybe even AAA. Uh, unfortunately, we won't know. Uh, and also, with these type of injuries, you know, with ligaments and that kind of thing, and, and things you really rely on for running and and for power, uh, for hitting. What is the recovery going to be like? Um, you know, Achilles tendons don't exactly have the track record for UCL tears where we say, okay, this is all you need to do and you'll be back in a year and it'll be fine. Um, you know, there are going to be some real questions about what it's going to be like for him coming back. Uh, is it going to be easy? Is it going to take him some time to ease back into things? Are we going to see that power return? Uh, What happens when he's not able to move? Because it's not like you can work out uh, a whole lot when you have, you know, a cast on your leg. Um, So, you know, I'm going to be really interested to see what happens to him when he comes back in 2019. Uh, But this is just the nature of games coming back. You know, we we get so excited about being able to watch real baseball again and really talking about results and how guys look and all that. But also once games gets going injuries are possible. And, uh, I, I tweeted out earlier this week, you know, we've already lost Brent Honeywell. We've already lost Jake Berger. Kyle Lewis had, uh, you know, an injury scare already for a knee problem that continues to develop for him. Uh, at a certain point you want spring to be optimistic and it's tough to be optimistic, uh, with these stories continuing to pile up. But, you know, that's why we started the show talking about Miguel Andahar and Kyle Tucker, because that optimism is still out there, even if it's tough to see through the clouds of, these injuries so that's three
1: strikes for this week's edition of the show before the show podcast and uh coming up two segments one we'll talk with mitch lukovics of the tampa bay rays organization um following that ordinarily we catch up with benjamin hill who is taking multiple days off to go see weird al yankovic that is a thing that's happening in the year 2018 so we won't be talking um to ben today um you know some people go to bonnaroo some people go to to winter wondergrass if you're in Colorado and some of us go to uh, <laughs> a to cut. Weird Al Yankovic for multiple days. So uh after we catch up with Mitch here in a little bit, Sam and I will be diving into um Josh Jackson's tremendous rankings. Uh Jackson is what I just said. Josh Jackson's rankings of um all of the systems in minor league baseball ranked on position player talent. So all thirty systems in the major leagues ranked on the talent of their position players. We'll talk about that coming up here in just a little bit but first Director of minor league operations for the Tampa Bay Rays. Mitch Lukovic joins the show coming up next. Spring training getting underway and prospects reporting all across the major and minor league landscape. And we are set to head to the Tampa Bay Rays organization and Rays director of farm operations, Mitch Lukovics, who joins the show and uh, gets us a chance to talk from the the player exec side, the personnel side, which is always fun for us on uh, a little change and things and, uh, and getting set for a, a fun start of March. Mitch, how are things down in Florida?
3: It, it, it's beautiful. We've had some actually hot weather wonderful weather for baseball and uh we had our minor league meetings our first uh, staff meetings last night and players will have admin day tomorrow we're ready to go
1: getting all set uh, this is such a, a crazy time of year but such a fun time of year because you kind of go from especially through the holidays and into january it's quieter it's never dead but it's quieter than other ports of the off season. but then you get this quick ramp up into everything when does it kind of hit you what's that first moment of the spring that it feels like all right finally we're doing this again
3: I got I got to tell you it happens in January because we have a complex here in the beautiful weather of Florida and we have we have people here as early as January 8th. So for us, you know, spring training starts a little bit earlier than most with the different groups we have here during the off season sort to of say tomorrow it kicks up full ramp everybody here. We bring all our players Uh, in at the same time we don't do the conventional pitchers and catchers early and then positional players later we bring everybody and we go right at it
1: and that's um you know kind of a a good way for everybody to jump into the mix at the same time and get everything rolling on the same note. And unfortunately this year you guys start off on, on kind of a down um, swing, at least for the immediate term with the news that Brent Honeywell underwent Tommy John surgery back on Tuesday. Um, I know the team said uh, that after the surgery, it was successful. Things went well toward the ligament last week, throwing batting practice. What right now, what's that been like this week for you guys? How's Brent doing? And, And just that process in the immediate term, right after the surgery for him.
3: Well, it hurts Anytime you get your top pitching prospect that has Tommy John. And we haven't gone through that in the minor leagues uh, uh, much. Um, Albert Suarez here, Jake McGee here in the minor leagues, and now Brent. But the guys uh, like Coby uh, and Matt Moore, it all happened in the big leagues. And we've been really fortunate um, with our medical team, our pitching coaches. But Honey's back. You know, we all saw him. He's in good spirits. He's the most determined guy you'd ever want to meet. So uh, it's a little bump in the road. He'll be back, and I would count on him being stronger um, when he does come back.
2: And, yeah, not not that you ever wish this on upon anybody, but what is it exactly oh. about Brent that makes it, like easy to see a route back for him because, you know, he's been posting left and right about how optimistic he is. He's got like hashtag honey day, 2019. Uh, you know, he's definitely an outspoken guy from his conversations with us and everybody else. But um, what about his personality and just work ethic? Do you see in the road to rehab and recovery for him going forward? He
3: has great confidence. One, two, his work ethic will be tested but he has a determination like not too many to be successful. If you want someone on the mound when the game's on the line, he's one of those guys. So with that combination, with that determination, with the work ethic, yeah, he's a little outspoken, but he can back it up, and he's a guy you can count on. So there's a lot of wonderful human attributes uh, with Brent Honeywell that, that what has made him successful we'll get him back on that mound in 12 to 14 months and be successful.
2: And and just quickly, I feel like everybody has one of these, but what is your favorite Brent Honeywell story that you feel like only happens with him and couldn't happen (laughs) with anybody else? Well,
3: I can't can't say that over there. (laughs) I mean, this guy's a beautiful human being, and we all come from different walks in life. You know, he's a fun-loving guy, and he's a competitive guy, and he's not afraid. He's not afraid to say his mind. But he goes out there and backs it on the mound, and we're okay with that here because he can he can back what he says.
2: And uh, I kind of want to pivot to another guy who's a pitcher, but also you know a hitter in Brendan McKay. Um, this is going to be your guys' first spring with him. It's going to be his first full season in the system. You know, all signs point to he's going to be working both sides of the ball. Um, you know, how difficult is it to plan for a guy like that, and how are you guys kind of planning to use him here in this first full season?
3: Well, it is difficult one because it's unprecedented. No time in my this is my 44th season have I come across anything like this. A, sort of say a two-way player. going to pitch. He's going to play first. Um, when he came to us um, to Hudson Valley in the New York Penn League after we signed him, we basically mirrored his his Louisville. Program and he had success at Louisville. He stayed healthy at Louisville. We we basically merited it. I said so. You know, from from the type of the workout programs to the sidelines, he hit on certain days. He he pitches sideline on certain days. He had game once a week. We we went with a six man rotation and and we we basically you know with all our discussions in the winter, it, it it's gonna work pretty much like we did in hudson valley if it works keep going he's a wonderful young man what really helps in the equation is is Brennan's a mature you know 22 year old and he has input with this he's the one who before he went to you know college at uh, the off season louisville how did he train to get ready for the start of his last louisville season so we're having discussion dewey robinson our minor league pitching coordinator he's having discussions with him in the off season and how he's preparing to come down here to start but basically in a nutshell that program that he worked with last year we'll we'll do we'll do this year's as well and then we're going to tweak it this is the first time you know i i can't remember anybody else um, he's going to be in a full season, first year full season doing this. And and if anybody can do it, he can.
2: And when you said, you know, you, you're going to see how well he does, and if he does well, you'll keep doing it. How long of a leash exactly does he have in, in both roles as a hitter and a pitcher?
3: Well, that, that's to be determined. But what I meant with that is that, there's certain days he does certain things. Obviously, when you're a two-way player, you, you can't. You can only pitch on certain days. You can only play on certain days. So after he pitches, what do you do? Is he going to DH or have a day off? So what we've done in Hudson Valley, what I'm saying is, you know, for the most part, he's going to do at a full season, and then with his input, you, we might tweak that a little bit. I, I, I didn't, for any reason, think that we would say, okay, he's not going to pitch anymore or not in anymore. He's going to do it. We might tweak the individual program a little bit based on what we see, his input, because none of us have done this. And you have a weather, if you're going from a the collegiate program and then he goes to the New York Penn League, and now he's, he's, he's going to come to a, a season where there's 140-game 140 game schedule and 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 that's a challenge so we're all going to be open-minded but what helps is his wonderful mind, and he will have input in the process.
1: Mitch, give us your take on your guy who's been around the game for a long time, obviously, and this new wave of people that can play on both sides, um, guys who can pitch and guys who can play in the field as well. Obviously, Shohei Osani is kind of leading that charge right now, but he's a unique case being a, a high-level professional overseas. Um, but, you know, Brendan McKay and Hunter Green and some of these guys who come into pro ball and have this skill set where they can do it both. Is this the start, is this kind of the beginning of a wave of this diversity and this ability for guys to do multiple things? Do you think this is something that can catch on at the the professional level and even up to the major league level? Or are we just in a window where we're seeing really unique athletes right now?
3: I, I think it's just the beginning because you're seeing, like you say, that green kid, he's pretty special. McKay's a pretty special kid. And you're getting a certain type of athlete that has been trained in it. As have success in it, they're going to come in pro ball and do it. And the, as, long as they have success doing it, that they're going to, the major league teams are going to do it, and they're going to try it with other other players as well. And and why not?
1: let's talk uh, a little bit more about some of the prospects in your system that we're excited to see um, it's so funny because we talk about somebody like Willie Adamas it feels like we've been talking about Willie forever and he's still 22 years old and played almost all of last season at 21 he didn't turn 22 until September but for somebody like him to go to the Triple A level at 21 years old bat 277 a 776 OPS and the fact that his defensive tools are even louder than his offensive tools what is the track like for somebody like that now What kind of is entering that Finishing school stage of development.
3: Well, he, he, he's on the cusp. It's a matter of time, and uh, Willie has it. We all talked. You know, we've all talked over the years about Willie because you know, uh, in, on top of his skill, okay, he has great intangibles. I mean, he's the Pied Piper of our of our Latin players. He speaks great English, and and from day one when he came to our Bowling Green trade. Bowling Green team after the trade, we're like, wow, this guy's really good in English, which tells us something about his aptitude, and his learning ability, and the want to learn. And he's only gotten better from day one. better at at, at the plate, better in the field, making plays, routine plays. Uh, it's just a matter of time for Willie. And uh, but we'll, Willie has it, and Willie can make an impact because of who he is. You know, he got the skill, but if the if the mental side doesn't match with the skill you have. You, you have a little more of a challenge, but Willie's coachable attitude, apt to, attitude, all those good things that a good player has. That's what makes him different.
2: And, and sticking with that Durham team from last year, that championship Durham team from last year, Jake Bowers uh, obviously played yeah. a big role. Uh, also yeah. played it mostly at 21. I want to ask about his defensive versatility. He's played both first and kind of the corners uh, for Durham last year. What do you guys see for him going forward? Is there a position he can stick, or is he always going to be kind of moving between first and, and right and left?
3: It, it never hurts for versatility when you're with the race. The, the guys started that here a long time ago, and Ben Zobrist. and I'm not comparing, you know, certainly Bowers to Ben Zobrist. But, but, when you moved around, there's more value. We did that with Jake, you know, because it can help value. Maybe if someone goes down in the outfield, he has a better chance of getting the big leagues. He's a proven hitter. Um, first base is his primary position i I would think and And you know, if something goes it can go out the left field. It really helps a team when you have players that are versatile. And like you said, he's going to be league age twenty two he played last year in AAA at league age 21, and this this young guy can hit, but this guy can, you know, how do you handle failure is a lot. And you wouldn't know between a good at-bat and a bad at-bat. He's coming up to the plate to swing the bat the next time. He's not losing at-bats like some young kids do because they they carry your last bat very heady young, young player.
2: Well, kind of sticking in the outfield uh, last year, you know, and moving down a couple levels with Jesus Sanchez, seems like he's hit everywhere you guys have put him so far. Last year, got a full slate of games at Bowling Green at the Class A level. Uh, if you could look at him to make a jump in somewhere in his game, some tool, something like that, entering his second full season, what are you guys kind of hoping he, he does to really take the next step this year?
3: Well, he's right on track. You know, here, here's a young guy, as you said, last year he was in Bowling Green. He's going to be, I believe, league age 20 in the Florida State League. But but the, the sky is the ceiling for him. Uh, we, we can see now, after an off season a bigger, he's stronger now. Um, he drives the ball. Uh, right now, what we're seeing better than last year, he can play a solid defense. He takes turns at first base as good as any player here. And he always has a smile on his face. So he's at the right place. He's going to go to the high A, but you never know how these guys can catch on. You never know how they're going to fare at the next level. It's a little bit harder. The game's a little bit faster, but we put him in a couple of our big league games and he's he's held his own because mentally he can handle it. Physically, we know he can handle it. Mentally, he's handling it. And, uh, you know, we're pretty excited about this young Hayes Sanchez, I can tell you.
1: Mitch, you guys have found a, a good trade partner over the last couple of years in the San Francisco Giants. And this offseason, you acquire Christian uh-huh. Royal. Lucius Fox <laughs> comes over um, despite having an awesome yeah, Batman related name. He's a very yeah. talented player. But what is it for from your perspective as director of minor league operations, when you get guys in who you didn't sign, you didn't necessarily, you know, scout as amateurs, you didn't draft, but you get them in and you know their talent, you know how good they are. What is the the process to get prospects into the system and get them acclimated? I mean, especially for somebody like like Christian Arroyo, in his case, coming over over the offseason. For guys like that, what are the steps to becoming a member of the Rays family?
3: Well, just, just be here. You're part of the family, day one. You walk through these two doors. I don't care where you come from. You're part of this family. We have one goal, and that's to help this young man become a championship-caliber player. Like I mentioned, Ben Zobris was a double-A player for us, and now he's the Ben Zobris. Wonderful young man, great player. Chris Archer came in there from the Cubs to us and started off on double A. So, and now he's our number one, he's our ace. Whether we draft him number one or a non drafted free agent, or we get the Arroyo kit from, from the Giants or Lucius Fox, or we've made some uh, with Palacios just recently from Minnesota or Tristan Gray, they're, they're part of the Tampa Bay. Raise family, and from day one, we're going to do whatever we can to help them become, you know, a better player. Now, with that said, we give them time to get acclimated, but but we're a, we're a teaching organization, and any way that we can help these these young guys, it's a player-friendly organization, and, and we welcome them. We want to get them better, and we have a lot of programs that we can help, you know, young players get better, and I, I think we, we do it pretty well so um happy to have them. whoever's here we're going
1: to get them better. Uh, a couple of selfish questions from my own vantage point as a, a baseball <laughs> fan of uh, of a lot of different weird world corners. I used to work in the Australian League, and the Rays have been one of the the teams that's really yeah. taken yeah. hold in sending some really good talent over there. Garrett Whitley, who's your yes. number nine prospect, now goes over there, plays in Perth. Justin Williams, your number 10 prospect, was in Brisbane. Nick Sufo's been in Brisbane before. What is the – the ABL is a developmental vehicle over the offseason. How have you guys viewed that and being able to utilize that over the last few years?
3: just what you talked about it's another arena development league to get our players better we handpicked these guys for different reasons uh zach law went over there before he got married we needed a few more reps you know behind the plate we converted this young talented kid uh, to catch her, so okay. Here's a venue over there in a beautiful country. They speak English. It's the cleanest place I've ever been, um, and the neatest place. And 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 so um, we've been in Brisbane a lot. We've been there for a lot of years. Uh, um, <clears throat> two years prior, back to back, we were in Brisbane. This year, we are in Perth. The guys come back and say, "What a wonderful city!" And they treated us well, and and all of them responded. To, uh, not only help the team do well, but, you know, individually work on what they needed to work on, catch up. And some at-bats, like Jake Fraley, he missed 90 games first, got hit, hit with a pitch in the Florida State League, really deep bone bruise, missed a lot of at-bats, and Jake went over there to catch up. You know, some guys are over there for defense. Some guys are there for offense. Some guys – you know, we need more at-bats or, hey, work on the breaking ball a little bit, learn to have a little more patience at the plate. But it's a heck of a venue for these these uh, young guys to catch up Um by playing over in Australia.
1: All right, this is my extreme selfish question. I'm currently recording this episode from (laughs) about a 10-minute drive away from Mile High Stadium where you were a member of the Denver Bears in 1975 for just four games, and it was your debut season as a professional. You went from rookie ball all the way to AAA for four games somehow. But what are your memories of playing a little bit of the 1975 season as a member of that team? Well,
3: well, let me tell you, that uh, that was a challenge. As you said, I went from the Gulf Coast Rookie League to Denver Mile High Stadium. (laughs) And so, Rowan, was our GM at the time. Wonderful, as we all know, Rowan, the wonderful, wonderful man. And so, I was there for like four home games. They put me up at that hotel right outside of Mile High Oh, yeah. And everything I felt, wow. Okay, so I stay there. Four days are up. We go on an eight-day road trip. So we go to Des Moines, Iowa, and Omaha, come back, I have no roommate, nothing. Tony LaRusso was on the team. Uh, Jesus. Uh, Lamar Johnson, Manny Estrada, Bill Parsons was Rookie of the Year. Chet Lemon was a third baseman before a center fielder. I had to sleep on the clubhouse floor. <laughs> and uh, had no roommate. I was making $212 a paycheck. You run up to stay up. I don't know if it's still there it was McDickle's arena where the denver basketball team played so i run up the hill go a couple blocks turn left there's a shoney's a denny's i eat i run down down the hill just praying that the gate wasn't closed so i can sleep <laughs> on the floor and there you were the next day so that's my denver bears uh, welcome <laughs> to the world as the 34th overall pick in the day. that is
1: fantastic that <laughs> is it awesome that is awesome First-rated.
2: anything <laughs> That's right up Tyler's alley, too. So, That's perfect. Yeah, um, so, four so, years later,
1: here you are. So. <laughs> I love it.
2: So <laughs> yeah, Mitch, we'll we'll end on cool. this one. Um I just have one final one. We actually talked about this last week. Um, you know, given like Tyler mentioned, all the kind of trades that have happened this offseason with the yeah. Rays, you've been there a long time. Um, yeah. what kind of conversations do you have with the young guys who, you know, they see guys like Evan Longoria stay there a long time and then get traded away, or yeah. you know, Ben Zobris got traded away, David Price got traded away. Do you t- talk to them about this means opportunities for you and we're gonna lean on you, or are they worried yeah. about someday getting traded themselves? What is that conversation like?
3: They should never be worried here. What 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 is here is opportunity. Um now it's ten years since we've been in the World Series, but I believe eighteen of our twenty 20- Five-man roster. It was homegrown. We're proud of that. Um, I tell them we're not in disarray here. It, there, there's a plan. We have a lot of guys here that put a lot of time, effort, and energy in what we're doing. Like I said, come on, Ben's over. Soon knew Ben? You you look at our rosters over the years. With one of the lowest payroll teams, we're last in attendance, and and, and we have to do this as a small market club to, to survive. And we've, over the last 10 years, have been somewhat successful. This is what we do. We're not in disarray. There's a game plan. And these young guys that, that we, you all mentioned are going to get an opportunity here. And some are going to be really good. And they're going to get us to the next level. No doubt
1: in my mind. Mitch Lukovics is the director of minor league operations for the Tampa Bay Rays, and things are um, full cylinder down in uh, in the Grapefruit League, getting ready oh, for yeah. 2018. Mitch, we can't thank you enough for the time and for uh, entertaining my my uh, my mental images of a mid 1970s <laughs> hometown of mine. And uh, congrats on, on all this exciting new talent you got in the system. And best of luck this year; it's going to be a lot of fun yeah. to watch. <laughs> thank you, and
3: thanks for
1: having me, guys. Have a great day. Big thanks to Mitch Lukovics of the Tampa Bay Rays. We actually said going into the interview that we were going to talk about something that we ended up not talking about. Mitch has been with the Tampa Bay Rays organization since its inception, November 1st, 1995, he said it was his first day, which is incredible. The Rays, of course, did not come around until 1998 as a major league franchise um, playing an actual big league game. So that's pretty incredible. There are not a whole lot of the exhibition teams from the 90s. Can't imagine there's more than combined between all four of them. I don't know, maybe 10 people who have been there since day one. So that's pretty awesome. Right. And, uh, and a big thanks to Mitch for hanging out with us for a little while. Just one of those good old baseball dudes guy who's been around forever. Would we probably could have done a three hour podcast of Mitch just telling us stories.
2: I love those <laughs> and, guys. And just about each of his stops in the minor league. Oh yeah, so,
1: absolutely. Like I,
2: I know everybody has kind of like a legends of the Denver bears story yeah. to tell. And, uh, you know, we could have a five hour podcast ourselves on one that these days. Um, but he just sounded like this is my one Denver Bears story. If you want me to tell me, tell you something about my rookie league, I can do that. <laughs> and that's kind of who you want as a farm director, right? Is just somebody right. who can understand what all the kids are going through at each stop and just be like, listen, I've been through this before. I've seen it for decades now. Um, here's how you get out of it. Here's a roadmap out. And whatever. Which,
1: by the way, so, what he was saying, from what I gathered from that story, he they they
2: brought him to Denver on his promotion, put
1: him up in a hotel for the first home stand. They went on the road through Des Moines and Omaha, and then when they came back, he didn't have a room anymore, and so he just slept in the clubhouse. <laughs> like what? Yeah. <laughs>
2: what?
1: That's the 70s amazing. Were a different time. That is amazing. Um, now it's just. Did he say whether it was a couch or something? He no, I think on? he like, said on the floor. Least... I think he said I slept on the uh, floor in the clubhouse in center field. Uh, yeah, very strange. Um now it's just like the clubbies live in the clubhouse. You know, it's, we've we've upgraded to where just the clubhouse manager lives in the clubhouse in some situations.
2: Yeah, which is no better. Dinner. The club the clubbies <laughs> should be getting ample housing.
1: Oh man. Let's dive into our first farm system rankings of the twenty eighteen season. And uh if you're gonna go on to twitter.com or facebook.com and yell at Josh Jackson about this, make sure you're yelling in an accurate context these are the rankings of farm systems based on position players only these are not the farm system rankings of whose system is best just so we have that understood um but let's let's get started with it uh the top ranked teams we'll go with the top five uh as far as the position player talent in among minor league systems for major league organizations go number five Chicago White Sox, who uh, have Eloy Jimenez, they have Luis Robert, um, Johan Mancata, Todd Frazier's trade was a, a one that netted them Blake Rutherford. They have brought in a ton of talent. Chicago White Sox are number five. Unfortunately, we just talked a little while ago about Jake Berger, who will miss the entirety of this season. Still, that team very well stocked with position player talent. Number four, the Philadelphia Phillies. Scott Kingery, obviously, has really put himself on the map of 2015 second-round selection. J.P. Crawford, who feels like he's been a prospect forever, still a very young guy, very, very talented, number 37 overall prospect. Jorge Alfaro, talk about a guy who feels like he's been around. I think Jorge Alfaro has been ranked on prospect lists, and this isn't a joke, since 2010. I think his first appearance in a prospect ranking service was 2010, and he is still a young guy who theoretically is going to be a good major league catcher one day. 24, but it takes a lot longer for catchers to develop into good big league talent. Uh, number three, the New York Yankees, who have still a ridiculous amount of talent coming up in the system. We talked about Miguel Andahar, Esteban Floreal, Tyro Estrada. They've got some really, really promising pieces still in the system there. Who knows if they're going to need them with how loaded that team is. Number two, the Toronto Blue Jays carried on the strength of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. They also have Anthony Alford, who we talked to on the podcast over the offseason Season from the Mexican Winter League, um, Richard Urania, another guy who has a very high upside in that system, and the top-ranked organization for position players in all of the major and minor leagues is the Tampa Bay Rays, who top to bottom, that system might not be the best in terms of its overall caliber of talent, but position player-wise, They're extremely loaded there. There's a lot of depth. We talked about Willie Adamas. We talked about Brendan McKay. They have a lot of really high-end talent in that system. Just acquired Christian Arroyo over this offseason. Jake Bowers we discussed. Lucius Fox we discussed. Wander Franco, who was the number two ranked international market prospect last year by MLB Pipeline. He signed with the Rays, so they're loaded. Um, But Sam, just give me some of your impressions on this. Uh, We can go one through 30, anybody you wanted to talk about. Number 29, number 30 are really interesting. I think we'll talk about those here coming up in a little bit, but you're, Initial reaction to the the rankings for farm systems, position yeah, player so, wise, not not full farm systems, just position players,
2: right? Just position players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I had to do a little bit backing <laughs> up of that because once we had like the Rays there, um especially given kind of the off season that the Rays have had, everybody's like, how can you rank them this way? They never really generate talent that well to to constantly win their division. um But that's not how you make a winner. It's not you know, plainly through homegrown talent, although the Rays have done a really good job of that, I think. Um, you know, going back uh, the last 10 years, the Rays have the seventh most wins in baseball, which is really surprising to me. Um, you know, obviously, some of the – that includes their best years. That includes a couple 90-win teams, all that. Um, but we ranked – Tampa Bay overall, you know, ninth in 2017, 13th in 2016. So this continues to grow especially well. And I think you heard that in Mitch's conversation, you know, they're not making moves just to cut payroll. Um, you know, although a lot of people kind of think that way, they actually have a plan for, you know, they're creating roots for the guys who were on that triple A Durham team last year and did so well to make the majors and, you know, fill these holes and, and get, into an 85 90 win team which is what it takes to get to the playoffs now. Uh, you know they they have the roadmap pretty well set up. Um, so to have this group of players now that they do, uh, you know you mentioned five of the guys who are in the top 100 uh, Adamas, McKay, Bowers Sanchez Arroyo that's more position players in the top 100 than any other organization has. Um, so being a team that really thrives on on player development, and to have this current crop in a way that we haven't seen them have in a couple of years even um, is really exciting, I think, for for Tampa Bay fans uh, at a time when they kind of need excitement. Uh, you know, when you trade away Evan Longoria, you need to whatever you can get, and then Brent Honeywell goes down, you need whatever you can get. But the fact that they are so deep on the position player side is really exciting. Uh, we have the Blue Jays at two. You know, the big guys are, are obviously Bichette and Guerrero. Um, but the fact that they have Anthony Alford, who is kind of a top 50 prospect right now, You know, to have three guys in the top 50, that's going to give you a lot of weight. Uh, when we did these rankings, when I talked to Josh about them, him and I had an hour-long conversation ourselves setting these up. We kind of lean towards, you know, if you have a lot of top talent, you are going to climb pretty quickly in these. Uh, if you have a good mix of t- top talent and depth, that gets you extra points. That's what tips the Rays over here. Um, but to move the Jays at number two, you're just not going to find – a, a pairing like Guerrero and Bichette, um, you know, they're ranked number three and number 13 overall right now. Uh, and then to find a third like Alford like that, that just gives a little extra punch. Uh, it, it's a weaker system below that, and that's why they fall below the Rays. But, um, you know, to to have that one, two, three punch like they do is really exciting. Um, the Yankees, uh, Glaber Torres is kind of the guy dragging them up high uh, but to have Andahar on that list, to have Florial on that list. And I actually do like their depth a little bit more than the Jays. I th- think maybe their guys 6 through 10 are better than the Jays. I just don't like that tip-top talent. And it's that tip-top talent that's going to end up being big major league contributors. So, you know, we can talk all day about who's better 6 through 10 uh, in the Yankees or, or Jays system. But at the end of the day, maybe th- two of those guys, three of those guys actually end up being – Big time major league contributors. Whereas, you know, let's talk about the difference between Guerrero and Torres, which could end up being, you know, a Hall of Fame player versus a couple of All Star games. Like that's pretty big, and that that's what kind of pushes us here. Um, you know, you mentioned four and five with the the Phillies and the White Sox, kind of same philosophies. I don't want to go a little bit deeper into that. Uh, we have the Nationals at six. Victor Robles is kind of carrying them there, but I also really like Juan Soto. Uh, I think Carter Keyboom is going to be held in higher esteem at the end of this year. Uh, a lot of questions if he can stick at shortstop, but a lot of thunder in that bat. Uh, if he can stick anywhere up the middle, that's going to be really big. Um, so, you know, just because we rank some of these teams lower, you know, the Braves are at seven, despite having Ronald Acuna, doesn't mean we don't like their systems. It's just guys have to go somewhere. You know, their organizations have to go somewhere. And a lot of these were really, really tough calls. Uh, Sticking in this top 10, one that kind of surprised me going both ways was we put the Los Angeles Angels at number 10. Uh, If we counted Otani as his overall prospect package, they would go much higher. They could go into the 6-7 range. Um, But because we're only considering him as a position player and everybody kind of agrees, he's a little bit worse of a hitter than he is as a pitcher. He's maybe a plus hitter versus a plus-plus pitcher. Um, That kind of holds them back. But they have some really fun depth with Joe Adele and Jemai Jones, and they added Kevin Maiton and Brandon Marsh I really like as another outfield piece. So, you know, the Angels, this is their first reward that we're seeing on the site anyways um, for what they've been able to do, taking that from a really rough system into a really promising one. Uh, and we'll have to see how they continue to shake out. You know, Otani's going to be counted as a pitcher, and we're going to give them a lot of credit for that because he is a much better pitcher. Um, But where does that kind of put them in that conversation? We'll find that out next week when Kelsey Enigan has pitchers.
1: It's all coming up, the preseason prospect rankings. Again, if you're going to yell and get fired up on the Internet, um, just make sure that you read what criteria these teams are actually being ranked on. Um, What I find interesting, though, two teams, and again, Teams that accomplished their goals so they don't need to be at the top end of these rankings because they were at the top end of these rankings. They graduated the talent, and that got them World Series titles. But would you believe three or four or five years ago that at some point the number 29 and 30 ranked teams on this list would be the Chicago Cubs and the Kansas City Royals? Those two teams were loaded and obviously accomplished the biggest goal. They won World Series. That's all that matters. But it is is surprising how much thinner those systems have gotten.
2: Yeah, and, and a lot of that comes from trading from your depth. Right. Um, you know, the Cubs, in theory, could still have Gleber Torres and Eloy Jimenez in that system. Those are two guys who are still technically prospects who started out as Cubs prospects. Um, but, you know, that the Cubs did what they needed to do to kind of fill out their roster, and they have kind of decided that they are going to go trade heavy on prospects. Um, that didn't necessarily happen last year in terms of some of the bigger trades or this offseason. Um, But to let go of Eloy Jimenez, you know, you're going to need to get a Jose Quintana back, and they, they did that, and he's a controllable pitcher who is now a big part of a very exciting rotation there on the north side with John Lester, and they added you Darvish and Quintana and Kyle Hendricks, and it doesn't almost matter who's in the fifth spot, one through four are so solid that they'll figure it out and they'll be really successful. So, um, you know, you show this to Theo Epstein, he probably wouldn't care, he wouldn't argue, he, he understands how it works, and uh, with the Royals, you know, They have some pieces we like nick prada was on this show a couple months ago and uh you know Sully matias and khalil lee have gotten some love at other places but um the depth just isn't there there's not a top 100 name in that list as well and uh you know the royals are gonna have to claw their way back after eric osmer signs elsewhere and lorenzo kane signs with milwaukee um but you know as i talked about with the angels it's it's not impossible to take a low system and develop guys the right way and all of a sudden we're talking about multiple top 100 guys a year from now. Um, that That's possible. They just have to do the work now.
1: So the position player rankings up at MILB.com right now. We'll have pitcher player rankings coming up. Kelsey Hennigan's working on those and uh, all part of our preseason run-up to opening day in 2018. Prospect primers, of course, will be back. We'll have spring training coverage. Uh, Josh Jackson and I will be down there the third week of March and Sam is headed down to the Grapefruit League. We'll be down in Arizona. We'll be the Cactus League. Sam is headed to the Grapefruit League here very shortly um one other news item before we wrap up this segment and uh put the finishing touches on this week's episode batting around there is a new column up from benjamin hill on the site that went up today march 1st so if you're listening to this on the day we release it coming up tomorrow on the second um the las vegas 51s have officially broken ground on their new ballpark las vegas ballpark um which actually is technically named uh, via corporate naming rights with the Las Vegas Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. Um, But that ballpark, which is going to be built and is now in the process of being built in Summerlin, Nevada, which is just west of Las Vegas. Um, Looks like it's going to be really one of the nicest facilities in all the minor leagues. And so the uh, 51s are on their way out of Cashman Field and uh, getting set to move into a new ballpark coming up here, uh, I believe, in 2019 is the uh, anticipated opening date for las vegas ballpark so pretty exciting stuff around the corner in las vegas and that is in batting around which also um, has an update on rochester and fresno and greenville and some other teams uh, from around the minor league so uh we'll uh we'll wrap up our discussion of farm system rankings and we'll be talking about the pitcher ones and uh and overall rankings coming up in the next couple of weeks putting the finishing touches on this week's episode of the show before the show next This weekend is, is a big weekend for Sam and I as two people who consider themselves to be – Sam actually more so, but two people who consider themselves to be sort of film buffs. Um, Sam actually has interesting and authentic takes on movies. I'm just like, I like to see movies. <laughs> um, but the Oscars are coming up on Sunday. I ordinarily – and I think we've talked about this on the show before, but I have like a, an annual tradition. My mom and I, we order Chinese food and we hang out and we watch the Oscars. We've been doing it since I was a kid. But this year – I, um, for those who are unaware, I'm the broadcaster for the University of Denver men's basketball team. And actually this week I'm doing the men's and women's. We've got our conference tournament this weekend and the men's game tips off at eight o'clock Eastern time on Sunday. So I'm going to miss the Oscars entirely. And I'm so bummed. Um, uh, but what, uh, give me best picture lead actor and lead actress. What are you going with?
2: Ugh. who I think's going to win or who I think should win.
1: Um, let's go with both.
2: All right, so who I think should win uh, for Best Picture because I don't have the other ones uh, in front of me quite yet. Um, I think Lady Bird should win okay. Best Picture. That that was my favorite movie of last year, but I also think it was incredibly well done. Um, you know, this might be, you know, the millennial in me speaking. Tyler and I have talked about this. It's kind of hits us especially well because it's a high school student she in was the early 2000s. literally
1: my exact same year in high school. She was an 03 graduate.
2: Right, so I, I was in middle school at the time, but you get the feeling of it at the very least. Um, you identify with a lot of the songs in it and a lot of just the general feelings, but also just a mother-daughter relationship that I haven't seen on screen before um, in a very genuine way. It's, it's, they're not always bickering, but they're not always perfectly in sync either. Um, they're not carving copies of one another. There's a great scene, which might be my favorite of any of the past year, in which uh, Lady Bird is trying on a dress and they're talking about you know, do you love me? And she says, of course, I really like you. She's like, no, but do you love me? And it's just like, well, you know, it's the or ultimate no, said, millennial parent scene. Right. No, it's it's do you love me? Of course, you. I love you. Well, do you like me? Well, you know, I, I think you do a lot of things really well. Well, <laughs> no, do you like me? Um, which is you know, such a stark difference. Yeah. And then but then they both freak out about seeing her in a dress. You know, like they they can have both moments at the same right. time, um, which is just not something I I see. You know, with feminine characters very much nowadays. Who do I actually think is going to win? Is probably Shape of Water. Um, three Billboards is a is a fine film, and I actually thought Three Billboards right after Lady Bird, so it kind of pales in comparison. But uh, I think Shape of Water is ju- just does a lot of really good things with the kind of horror genre, but also love story, literally fish out of water talk. Uh, I think that's a, a lot of people are going towards that, and Guillermo del Toro has made a lot of really good movies that haven't been. You know, uh, acknowledge in the same way that maybe they should have, and this seems like a way to kind of give it, uh, you know, his due after all these years, in which the Oscars love doing that. I get that. Um, there is no real Moonlight versus La La Land this year, I don't think. It is not, you know, it's Three Billboards versus Shape of Water. I get that, but it's not people fighting over it. You know, th- there's not separate camps about you're wrong for this opinion or how can you not see the greatness of this movie. Um, So, you know, even if a moment like last year happens where somebody says three billboards one oops, sorry, it was about the shape of water, it wouldn't have the same cultural impact, I don't think, just because last year's was so much heavier, Um, which is kind of disappointing because I think this was a really deep year for movies. You know, I I, I wish we could be having the get out conversation right now um, that we a lot of us had a couple months ago uh, about what that means for movies right now and what direction they could be going and. All that, And what is the effect of Get Out and Black Panther on seeing African Americans on screen and telling their stories in ways that haven't been told before. But Get Out's not really getting that conversation. It's great to see Jordan Peele nominated for director and for writing and for Best Picture. Uh, But, you know, I I don't think we're going to talk about this much more. This specific award show, I don't think we're going to be talking about it months from now in the same way we did last year's.
1: OK, um, I think, uh, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis and Meryl Streep will win because they're both on the ballot. No, I actually don't. Yeah. think I don't think either one of those will win. <laughs> to be fair, I haven't seen either movie, but I also kind of just think maybe Daniel Day-Lewis. Daniel Day-Lewis is like that band that says they're breaking up and they do a farewell tour. And then three years later, they do another farewell tour. Like, didn't he say he was retiring after Lincoln? He does this every movie. No, he really doesn't,
2: though. Yes, he, he, he may, does, Sam. No, he may he may have been flirting with it, but have you seen Phantom Thread yet? No, I have not. It's I'm, the first I,
1: Daniel Day-Lewis movie that appeals to me in zero ways. Like, I okay, don't even well, get what it's supposed to be about. <laughs>
2: uh, I won't talk to you about it on the podcast. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay. But it, it, it feels like the perfect, this is how I'm going out, and this is why I'm going out movie. Okay. Okay. Uh, not because it, it seems hellish or anything like that, or really difficult shoot or whatever. It just seems to tell a story of somebody who realizes what they've been doing and what they've put themselves through and what they put others through and finding a way out of that. And it it was told really well once I saw it through that lens. Uh, otherwise it was just like, okay, this is a, a crazy guy who makes dresses. Uh, what is the point of this? So okay. yeah, I, I feel like it, that's the movie to end on. If you want to tell your career in a specific film. Okay um i don't think he's gonna win okay uh nor do i think he should win but gary oldman's probably gonna win that one so
1: the only drum that i'm beating is uh is actually in supporting actor i think willem dafoe in the florida project was incredible yes I think, yes, I think please. he was, and I saw three billboards. Um, I understand everybody's in love with the shape of water. I would not be surprised if, if Christopher Plummer gets it for all the money in the world because of the circumstances in which he had to shoot that role, stepping in for Kevin Spacey, basically shooting it after the movie was over and apparently playing that role in an entirely different way than Kevin Spacey did. Um, which I find fascinating, but Willem Dafoe, I thought was amazing in, uh, in the Florida project. So he's really the only one that I'm like, man, I hope that guy wins.
2: And he, yeah, and you know, uh, he's a I've seen some weird stuff <laughs> where where people like it, Variety or Vulture—I can't remember which one—does um, this thing where they talk to voters and they're like, "Why did you vote the way you do?" And it's all anonymous and whatever. And people have tried to say like, "I don't feel like Willem Dafoe had much to do in that movie," which is what? garbage. What? He, he Who is are the moral center of that exactly. I don't no. know. Hit him hauling off that old guy in the parking oh, lot. Oh, these is... people are nuts.
1: One of the most human moments in
2: movies from last year. Willem Dafoe makes that movie. And all these people who want to vote for Sam Rockwell just because he has more to do in Three Billboards. I'm sorry, Woody Woody Harrelson. Woody
1: Harrelson was in that movie for 10 minutes. Like, come on. acted laps around him. Yeah! I'm sorry.
2: Woody Harrelson gets blood spit on, or spits blood on somebody's face and goes from a mean guy to a very nice person in a drop of a hat. Yeah, that's a heartbreaking moment. That takes acting chops. Yeah. That... I don't think Sam Rockwell needed to just kind of yell and scream and be angry. Sam Rockwell no. kind
1: of plays that dude and everything. Like he's he's sort of that guy. Like the he's right. got a, and I like Sam Rockwell a lot, but like he kind of plays that role of being like the the dysfunctional sidekick in a lot of stuff.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and I also don't like that role too much. Yeah. Because he's he's a guy who a we're just told is a racist. We're never really shown it, and b um, is just kind of like redeemed at the end for reasons because we've spent the most time with him like you're supposed to root for him because he's been there the whole movie but i wouldn't root for that guy in real life yeah that's true you know what i mean like it's just we're told like okay you know they're go going off in the sunset and don't you feel better about this guy now like i really don't sorry yeah like they they just did not redeem his story in the same way so Anyways, we could save all this for later, but Um, uh, yeah,
1: no, I, uh, I agree. I agree. Um, those voters, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Kent Brockman, the, the cornerstone of our society, (laughs) (laughs) The, the moral voice that we all need. The news anchor from the Simpsons. Um, that'll do it. Enjoy, enjoy the Oscars, but more importantly, enjoy baseball because yeah uh, next week i'll we be are.
2: coming to you guys from florida yeah so which is very fun through. and uh yeah. a couple
1: weeks after that josh jackson and i will be in, in arizona and, you know this minor league life returns again <laughs> get excited
2: <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll do something new with yeah we'll this do year, something fun it's just as creative be great he's sam dykstra i'm tyler mom we'll talk to you next week